It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon and welcome to Talent Talk. It's Tuesday, it's 1 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, and uh, we are here at the last show of November. And uh, kind of back after a little bit of a break, we just wrapped up Thanksgiving and I was uh, doing quite a bit of travel across the pond uh, for the book and for many other things. So <clears throat> really excited to be back to the show here today uh, with you to talk uh, more about talent and talk to two great guests. So you know, this show was really designed uh, for that purpose, to have this great conversation, to, for us to talk, uh, and hopefully allow the audience to learn and and share and be a part of the conversation even. So, you know, at, with, with all that has come out of this show, as I mentioned, uh, the book, The Power of Company Culture, which is really inspired by my company, our story, and of course, so many amazing stories from our fantastic guests on the show and some of the really cool things that they've told us they're doing that we've gone and copied and done. And I know so many others have taken back to their companies, we've kind of put it all in one place. So love to have you check that out on Amazon. Pretty soon, we're hoping, maybe even this year, maybe early next year, the audio version will be ready. In fact, that was one of the things I was doing while off for the last couple of weeks from the show was taping that audio version. It'll be ready uh, pretty soon. So we'll let you know when that's going to happen. We want to make sure that uh, all of you are a part, being a part of the action. You know, go to TalentTalkRadio.com, follow us there. Uh, go to iTunes, iHeartRadio, follow us there. There's over 10,000 people a day downloading one of our podcasts from one of those different areas, and we are just so thankful and appreciative to everyone who is listening on a regular basis and being a part of the magic and the fun. And we'd love to have you go on to Twitter and submit your comments, your questions, whatever you're thinking about what we're talking about. You can go uh, put that in there. Use the, at minimum, the hashtag talent talk. That'll get us in there. But if you can add the at people G2, we really make sure my uh, producer, Mike, can find it. And if it's live during the show, we will even possibly bring your question or comment in, into the fold. If it's after the show, that's perfectly fine. We love to keep the conversation going and talking then. Uh, and we will, certainly will do that as best we can. So fighting a little bit of a cold today, but we will definitely make it through here. Uh, my guest today uh, for Today's great show is Jacob Morgan, a best-selling author and founder of the Future of Work University. And then we'll have Lee Benson in after the commercial break. He's the, the, the Lee's the uh, CEO of uh, Execute to Win. So, um, you know, let's go ahead and get uh, the show started. Uh, enough of the business and all that stuff, uh, and bring in uh, Jacob. Jacob, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself? You know, what's important for us to know especially as it relates to talent and the employee experience in our conversation today? Well, I can tell you how I got started in this space. 
Uh, basically, I had bad jobs working for other people over a decade ago. Uh, and ever since then, I've been fascinated with how the world of work is changing, what employee experience looks like, uh, and how we need to think about leadership differently. So I spend a lot of my time uh, split between advising companies, between speaking at various conferences, writing books, and creating courses for the future of work university. Well, it sounds like you and I have a lot uh, in common then and sort of our fascination and love for, you know, what the experience look like, what culture looks like, um, and certainly coming from, uh, when, when you've seen it at its worst, <laughs> I think it might push some of us to want to see it at its best. So your company, the Future of Work University, offers training programs focused on themes related to the future of work, uh, employee experiences and leadership. Can you maybe expand on maybe some of the specific areas you like you, you really like to focus in on? Sure. Well, I'd say probably the most um, recent theme that organizations are becoming most interested in is this theme of employee experience. And I define employee experience as changing the core workplace practices of your organization around your people, and it's focused on three environments, which are culture, technology, and physical space. And I feel like today we're at a point where most organizations around the world are getting a little fed up with traditional employee engagement programs because they're not generating the ROI that they think they should be generating. And that's because most organizations view employee engagement programs as free food and perks and benefits and hot yoga and all this other stuff that's out there. And they're not actually making any core changes to how the organization uh, operates. So employee experience is this concept of how do you make these changes to how the company actually functions? How do we think about an employee, a manager, and what it means to actually work there? So uh, a lot of my time now is spent focusing on that. Uh, to the end, uh, at the end of next year, I'm going to have a new book that's focused on the future of leadership and what we're going to need, the skills and mindsets we'll need to lead uh, in 2025 and beyond. Uh, but for now, I think a lot of companies are really trying to understand how do we genuinely make changes to how our company operates and thinks about people. And I, I mean, I get very excited about that stuff because it's uh, it's been a long time coming. So what what do you think the future of work really looks like? If we, if we get it right, uh, maybe let's start with if we get it right, what does that look like? Well, I suppose it depends on how far you're looking the the good thing about the future of work is that there's always a future of work. And it's it's sort of tough to say what does the future of work look like because I think there are many futures of work, depending on the industry, depending on the geographic location, depending on the company that you're looking at. There, there are many futures of work that we're all going to be a part of. And so um, it depends, right? I mean, we'll see more flexibility. We'll see more integration of technology. Hopefully, we'll see more diversity and inclusion. Uh, hopefully, we'll see uh, more AI being used. Uh, hopefully, we'll see changes to workplace design, to leadership being thought of as more of coaching and mentoring. I mean, these are some of the changes that hopefully we will start to see where ultimately the goal is that each and every one of us wakes up every day and we are actually excited to show up to work. We genuinely want to show up to work. We don't just show up because we feel like we need to uh, to make money to pay bills. So from a very high-level perspective, I think those are just some of the things that we're starting to see happen. 
but it's not it, it, I kind of view the future of work like a game of chess. There is no such thing if you're playing a game of chess as like what is the one move that somebody else will make on the chessboard. You have a lot of different possibilities that might happen. And I think the same thing is true here. Uh, we'll certainly see some automation take away jobs in some areas, but lots of new jobs will be created in other areas. So it's kind of a, a mix of everything that we're going to start to see. So where do you think it might realistically end up? I mean, from what you're seeing, is it, uh, I think you started to allude to this, right, where maybe in some areas we will see some losses, well, in other areas we might see some gains. But, um, you know, I think there's certainly, we have so much, so many cool things happening in technology. We have so many cool things happening uh, inside of companies from uh, maybe an evolution of how we look at an experience. And then we also have sort of this, whole political thing that's happening right across the world with a uh, wave of nationalism and changes in, uh, in different countries and how they're kind of interacting and how that might influence talent. So, you know, what are you kind of seeing as maybe a realistic next couple of years? What do you think we might see? Well, I'm an optimist. I feel like in this world, you have to be an optimist. So I'm not one to sit there and think about the doom and gloom scenarios and uh, millions of jobs being automated, and all of a sudden we're living out a scene from The Walking Dead. Uh, I I choose not to believe that that will happen, and I, I don't uh, do things to help make that happen. But neither do a lot of the executives that I interview. So I interview lots of executives at organizations around the world, many of whom are responsible for implementing technology and automation programs in their company. And by and large, uh, what we're starting to see is not technology or automation replacing humans, but technology and automation working with humans. So I can give you a couple examples that I'm sure your listeners will be interested in. One of them comes from Accenture. Accenture recently automated 17,000 jobs, but they didn't actually lose a single individual employee. The 17,000 jobs that they automated were in the field of finance. And these were individuals who we would usually call number crunchers. And so what they did is they took these 17,000 jobs, these 17,000 employees, and they upskilled them. And they basically said, instead of just crunching these numbers, we want you to be strategic advisors to our clients and help them understand what these numbers actually mean. So they took away the actual data computation number crunching part and gave that to software. They gave that to bots. And they took the 17,000 people and they made them become strategic advisors. McDonald's is another great uh, example. Uh, we see a lot of kiosks being implemented inside of McDonald's restaurant chains. And the big concern there is, of course, that with all these kiosks, what is the use of having a human that works in an organization like McDonald's? And so I interviewed their chief people officer about this, David Fairhurst, and I asked him, are you seeing a reduction in headcount? And he said, in most situations, not only are we not reducing headcount, we're actually increasing headcount. And that's because McDonald's is shifting to be more of an experienced business. They'll bring you your food. They'll ask you how your day is going. And we see lots of stories like this of organizations who are using technology to help humans, to create better experiences, to pursue other business opportunities and ventures. So this is why I'm absolutely an optimist. And the really interesting thing is that if you look at what research is showing us, versus what executives are actually saying, the two are not aligned. You look at a lot of statistics that are out there, and they'll say things like 47% of jobs are going to be automated or 2 billion jobs are going to be lost and replaced. But again, when I talk to these executives, they are not 
telling me and they're not seeing the same thing that data collection is showing. Uh, so personally, I choose to believe what executives are actually doing, what they're investing in, and what they're seeing, and that's why I'm an optimist. We gave some great examples of what some organizations are doing right, and I certainly agree. I'm sort of seeing that same thing, right, where companies are shifting to more that experience type of a way to differentiate themselves. And um, But if we look at maybe what some companies are doing right now, um, what are maybe some examples of where companies are missing the mark that might be of interest to, to the listeners right now uh, as they evaluate their own organizations? Um, what are some of those maybe simple things that people are kind of missing right now? Are you, are you talking specifically about employee experience? Yeah, in the experience area, for sure. Well, uh, some of the common things that uh, organizations are missing the mark on are, uh, number one, assuming that things are not actually changing. So if your business is going well, or even if it's not going well, if you assume that the way that we have been working uh, now and the way that we've been working over the past few years is going to be the same way in which we work in the future, huge mistake. Uh, if anything, we see that the pace of change is, uh, is changing, uh, is increasing, I should say. Uh, we see the war for talent heating up. And so the ways in which we're used to working are, are definitely going to change. And so if you don't accept and acknowledge that, I think you're certainly going to be uh, in, a, in a world of hurt. Uh, the impact that technology is going to have, I think a lot of organizations don't understand um, the impact that technology will have. That's another huge area. Uh, a third area where I see huge missed opportunity is putting in the right people in positions of power inside of organizations. So people who genuinely care about bringing and creating a human organization. So people like Paul Pullman from Unilever, Mark Benioff from Salesforce. These are executives who genuinely care about building a human organization, and we need more of those types of people. And so if your organization does not have managers and executives like that in place, then it doesn't matter how much somebody like me talks about employee experience. It doesn't matter how many times they listen to your show or your podcast. Change will not happen unless you have the executives in positions of power who believe this and are willing to make that change. So I'd say those are three areas where a lot of organizations are missing the mark. Absolutely. Well, I know you've offered, authored uh, three books, uh, the most recent being The Employee Experience Advantage. Um, what is the focus of this book and what can readers anticipate maybe taking away if they check it out? The Employee Experience Advantage is based on a study of 252 companies around the world. And basically what I wanted to do is try to understand what is it that the world's leading organizations are doing uh, around creating great employee experiences? What does employee experience actually mean? And uh, I'd say the, the number one takeaway from the book is that every single employee experience for every employee at every company around the world is a combination of three things that your organization can control. Culture, technology, and physical space. Culture is how employees feel working for you. Technology refers to the devices, the tools, the hardware, the software, the apps that they have access to to get their jobs. And physical space is exactly what it sounds like. It's the spaces in which employees work. Culture is 40%. Technology and physical space are each 30%. So the big takeaway is to look at those three environments and filter all of the decisions that you make inside of your company through that lens of how does this impact culture, how does it impact technology, how does it impact physical space. And the organizations who do an amazing job uh, of creating experiences in those three areas 
have significant ROI. Higher revenue, higher profitability, lower turnover. These companies are on average 24% smaller. They have higher stock price performance. So there is clear and tangible ROI. And I talked about all that in the book. Uh, so if people are interested, they can certainly uh, check that out. Well, I certainly hope they do. It sounds like a fantastic read and uh, love that you have so many great uh, studies there and, and stories to, to, to go along with it. Uh, I know you, you mentioned you're also a keynote speaker. Um, you know, what, are the, what are the most of the messages you delivered kind of centered around and what does it seem that the group you know, really wants to hear the most about uh, as you're out there at their, you know, speaking to different groups? It's a pretty big mix. As you can imagine, the future of work is a broad topic that encompasses a lot of different areas. So it depends on the audience that I'm speaking with. Uh, sometimes it can be around AI and automation and what this means for humans and jobs in the future. Sometimes it could be around what leadership is going to look like in the future. One of the hottest topics that I always get asked to talk about is indeed employee experience. Uh, what does this mean? Why is it important? What's the ROI? That's probably the number one thing that I get asked to talk about. Uh, but I'd say those three areas are the most common, uh, just future of work and how things are changing, how do we create great experiences for people, and what skills and mindsets do leaders and managers need to possess to lead effectively in the future. Well, at the start there, you mentioned uh, AI and automation. That's we, we kind of brought this up a couple times, and I recently read a great book, AI Superpowers, and kind of really got into the, the differences between China and the United States and all that's kind of going into that. It was really fascinating. Um, what do you think is on the horizon for AI and automation inside of business? And, um, you know, where do you where do you see that maybe going in the short term and the long term? So I haven't read that book. I'm going to have to check that out. AI superpowers. I'm going to make a note to uh, uh, to look at that one. Uh, so I'm a huge fan of science fiction. I think if anybody wants to get a potential glimpse into what the future might look like, watch science fiction movies, read science fiction books. Some of them might be a little bit, you know, far out there, so to speak. But the really cool thing about these things is, is that they actually paint a picture and tell a story of what the world could look like. That, to me, is more impactful than looking at data and looking at a research report. It's really interesting to see it conceptualized in a story. And if you look at some of the things from shows like Star Trek or Blade yeah. Runner, or if, you look, or if you read some of the Isaac Asimov books, what we start to see is that some of these things are actually starting to happen. Like the tricorder from Star Trek is being developed. This idea of leveraging artificial intelligence and robots uh, to, to get stuff done, right, is, is now we're starting to see that actually happen. Um, putting human consciousness into an Android body. A lot of people think that will happen by 2040 or 2050 uh, or around there. So a lot of the things that you find in these science fiction books and movies we're actually building, which is pretty freaking cool. And so, um, again, I'm, I'm an optimist. I think a lot of what we're going to start to see with artificial intelligence and technology is going to be used to help us solve and tackle complex problems and challenges, income inequality, uh, fighting poverty, uh, removing uh, and eliminating uh, terrible diseases, finding cures for things that we couldn't find cures for, so I'd like to think that we're going to use technology to create jobs that are better suited for humans, that allow us to use our human skills, empathy, creativity, critical thinking, uh, those types of things. 
and uh, we'll remove some of the traditional mundane tasks that we uh, don't particularly enjoy doing. And who knows what the future will bring, right? I mean, uh, like you said, our current administration doesn't seem too concerned with automation at the moment. So the the impact that, that policymakers will have, the impact that government will have is, is still still waiting to see what, what they're going to do about that, if anything. Yeah, it's come up a couple of times on this show that whether or not, you know, the progress of society, whether or not government will keep up. And that's a, a comment on government overall, not on any particular administration or, or people in right now, but just in general, can, can the progress of change and things that are happening on a societal level, you know, uh, be in congruence with what's maybe happening on the government end. So, uh, and I love your example of Star Trek. I mean, I think uh, there's some different different variations of Star Trek. The, the newest one's a bit more uh, intense, a bit more uh, conflict happening, but certainly like something like the next generation you can look at. You know, if that was if that's where we're headed, where, you know, hunger is now gone because there's a machine that can make any kind of food you want. Uh, you know, what kind of peace and harmony might we have if we can kind of reach to some of those things that people have imagined, which is like a fantastic way to look at it. You know, one of the uh, I think uh, one of the things we want to make sure we ask you before we go here um, is, is there an app or a gadget or something you've been finding especially useful in your work and, and life this year that you might share with us? Oh man, I'm I'm kind of a chess nerd. So honestly, the the app that I have open most on my phone is the chess.com app. And interestingly enough, it does help me because you know a lot of people do meditation, a lot of people do uh, you know they, they use these different apps to to focus on breathing. For me, my meditation is playing a couple games of uh, of chess online, solving some tactics puzzles, and that really helps me kind of zone in and focus. So Although it's not directly a business app or a productivity app, the one that I use by far is uh, uh, chess.com. Well, that's a new one. We definitely need, I'm sure there's some people out there who would love to check that out. Um, and I assume that uh, players of all uh, levels of experience and talents uh, might uh, find that valuable. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, Maybe what about books? Like is there a book you're reading right now or that one that you tend to suggest people check out? Um, so just to add, I was looking at my uh, iPhone screen time. Uh, you know, the new iPhones, they show you how much time you spend on various apps. Yeah. And as predicted, number one is chess.com, and there's another one, Wii Chess. So it's uh, totally chess nerded out on my phone here. Uh, as far as the book that I am currently reading, oh, man. Again, I have a book on chess puzzles. I, I know that people listening to this are, like, thinking I'm a complete weirdo but i have a book on <laughs> tactics puzzles that i'm reading um but you know i'm also doing a lot of research for my next book on the future of leadership so i have a bunch of leadership books that i downloaded onto my kindle that i am going to start reading fairly soon i haven't started yet um but some of them are like uh the mind of the leader the future of leadership uh carol dweck has a book called mindset that i'm checking out yeah uh, it's a Tom great one yeah, Tasha York wrote a great book on self-awareness called Insight. Uh, I'm reading a book on um, on Sam Walton. So there, there are a lot of really great leadership books. The Road to Character is another one that I have on my Kindle here. So I'm going to be going through all of these books just to see some of the latest research on um, on leadership trends. But uh, yeah, 
I, I can't say any of them are my favorite. You know, I read them for necessity. If I had to pick a favorite book, I'd go for the science fiction, Isaac Asimov, the iRobot series, Ender's Game. Those are some of my favorite books. Well, you gave us a lot to think about today. How can people uh, reach you or get a hold of you if they're interested in working with you or learning more? Well, I am quite easy to find. Uh, so my website is thefutureorganization.com. Uh, my email, if anybody wants to just email me directly, is jacob at thefutureorganization.com. And uh, as you mentioned earlier, I run something called futureofworkuniversity.com for people that are interested in training and courses and all that sort of fun stuff. Well, Jacob, thank you so much for being a part of the show today, giving us all sorts of great insights and leadership and in the employee experience. Um, hopefully we have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the cool things that you're doing. Yeah, that'd be fun. Thanks for having me. All right, we'll be right back after this quick commercial break, and we'll bring in my second guest, Lee Benson. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my first guest, Jacob Morgan, you can listen to his interview as well as the entire show on iTunes or listen to it on iHeartRadio. We'll have that show posted up in the next week or two. You can also go back and listen to the last five years of fantastic guests. Uh, take a look at some of those. Um, you know, During the holiday season, we'll play a few of our favorites from the past year as well on a couple of those dates that uh, we don't go live. But uh, love to have you check out those shows and uh, certainly comment or share your favorites uh, with your audience. We'd love to to, to have you do that. Uh, my next guest is uh, Lee Benson, CEO of Execute to Win. Uh, don't forget to go to uh, talenttalkradio.com um, or make sure you tweet at PeopleG2. Use that hashtag Talent Talk right now so that we can keep the conversation going. But let's go ahead and bring Lee into the show. Uh, Lee, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. So why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself, what's, you know, most important for us to know about you and your background as it relates to, um, you know, our conversation today and, of course, your company, uh, Execute to Win. Sure. We're going to be talking about uh, leadership development, alignment, culture, things like that. And, you know, I started uh, uh, building companies uh, well over 20 years ago, and some of the biggest things that I ever um, uh, sort of face in terms of challenges and opportunities were those things. You know, how do you get all the leaders to, um, you know, basically perform like A-rated leaders so you can get the results you're looking for, connect everybody to strategy, et cetera. And so after a number of years, uh, finally selling actually uh, three companies, combining them into one uh, on the aerospace side, um, as I started solving those problems, we became more and more successful. 
And now I have the pleasure of leading uh, Execute to Win and taking it out to hundreds of companies and you know thousands and thousands of employees. So pretty exciting journey for me uh, from where I started to where I'm at today. And I, I think five years from now, it'll even be more exciting. What do you find to be the best approach then, uh, you know, to leadership development? Let's kind of start there. Yeah, the, the best approach to leadership development is to make it very practical and something that is, um, um, you know, customized for an individual organization. Uh, I think one of the mistakes a lot of folks make is, uh, or organizations make, is that they'll send leaders to leadership development uh, training courses. They'll bring in experts. They'll uh, recommend books. And there's a lot of great information out there, but typically it's too high level, um, too academic. It worked in that organization. It doesn't work here. Um, or this is a great idea, but there's no systemic way of actually driving any organization. So, you know, first I would suggest, hey, let's come up with uh, competency categories that make the most sense for you. And, you know, for, for me, it would be um, uh, alignment around value creation, where each leader should be able to articulate how their team creates value for the organization. Um, it would be a general category of leadership behaviors. Um, you know, how do the best leaders in your organization behave to achieve extraordinary results? It would be around their ability to execute on strategy, which deals with their management operating system, what they do daily, weekly, monthly to achieve great results. And then the last category, um, I call it foundational readiness, where, you know, um, I just believe that capable leaders will get really good results with what they have to work with. They don't make any excuses. And at the same time, they can build capability to get even better results in the future. And that's, you know, people, process systems, et cetera. And I've always called that eating and dreaming at the same time. And I've adopted that as the best definition of leadership that I've ever heard. Yeah, you know, so you mentioned values, and this has been coming up uh, recently quite a bit, and a bit of a surprise to me how how little people maybe understand each other's values, right? That we, everyone comes in with their individual set of values, things that they uh, really, really drives them, right? We I think we all can appreciate uh, different values in each other, but, you know, we all kind of have our yeah. core few values, um, how does that relate to leadership development, especially in trying to make sure that, you know, people are aligned to the company's values, which you know, certainly could be a little bit different than the individual values? Yeah, I, I actually think that leadership development in general, just that whole category of leadership is just as sort of, uh, you know, mystifying as the category of culture. You know, everybody talks about it. Everybody says that it's incredibly important. You know when it's right. You know when it doesn't feel right. Uh, but the challenge is most organizations, when they approach leadership development or even establishing an intentional culture, they don't get all of the leaders involved in creating what that should be. So it doesn't become theirs from a change management standpoint. It doesn't work. You get a lot of pushback. If the leaders are all involved in creating and continually refining what capable leadership is, the buy-in is 5 to 10x. And you want it to be standardized across the board. And same thing around culture. Every single employee should be involved in creating culture. And, you know, taking one step back and, you know, culture's, um, you know, a big part of leadership. What is the definition of culture? And the definition I adopted a long time ago, probably around 1998, was what we agree to do and how things get done. And what we agree to do is our mission. It's how we create value for our customers. It's, it's why we get a paycheck because we don't create that value. Our jobs are in jeopardy. 
um, how things get done would be behaviors and leadership traits and how we interact with each other. And I think another common mistake organizations make when they go to create cultural elements or leadership development is they don't they don't decide or define what they want to accomplish by having those things in place. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I recommend is if you're going to establish behaviors, values, uh, leadership traits, um, what's the end game? What are you looking to accomplish? And I remember we had, had only 70 employees. This was a long time ago in one of my aerospace companies. And our top value to drive our culture was integrity. And I asked 10 of our 70 employees, how are you applying integrity uh, to make the organization measurably better. And I got 10 crazy answers that told me I've completely wasted my time and all I've done is develop a lot of expensive wallpaper. So when I backed up and I said, well, what are we really trying to accomplish here? And what we're trying to accomplish is that at any point in time, 50% or more of the employees in the organization are behaving, leading, and performing as good or better than the top 10% that our strongest, most admired competitors. And at that time, I told all the employees, this is what we're trying to accomplish. We need your help. Please write down the observable behaviors of the best-performing employees you've ever worked with on their best days. And we got this huge list that um, came in from the employees. 68 participated in the uh, survey out of 70, and they all distilled down to six that stood the test of time. And what replaced integrity as a value, which everybody would say is great, but how do you really apply it? We now said at Able Aerospace Services, high-performing employees throughout the organization do what they say they will. It's something you can observe. You know, some of the others were they presented um, and pursued permanent solutions as opposed to dwelling on problems. They were respectful, honest, and straightforward. They had a personal commitment to the end result. And it's been over a year since I was CEO of, uh, of those companies that I sold. But those will be in my bones for the next 30 years because of the way we applied it and everybody was involved in creating it. Kind of a long answer, but that that's, uh, I think, the best way to approach establishing um, a, a solid way around developing leaders and driving, um, also developing and driving a very intentional culture. Oh, that's fantastic. And I'm just wondering if there's anything else on top of that that you think that kind of goes into that, you know, equation or that, uh, you know, mixing bowl to, to create our, you know, our, our kind of our companies that we really want here to, around aligning team members and organizations and cultures kind of maybe independent of size or things like that. Are there, are there other parts of that recipe that we need to think about? Um, I, I think it's all about alignment and uh, driving an intentional culture and setting it up correctly and getting everybody involved and then engaging with those cultural elements. So it doesn't matter how, how large or how small the organization is. It doesn't matter if you're all the way on the front line or if you're all the way at the you know, top of the leadership uh, chain. Uh, they should be practicing regularly living those, um, those alignment tools that make up your intentional culture. And then the same thing on strategy. Uh, you know, the companies get quite large and, and they struggle to execute on their strategy. And, um, you know, in, in my view, it's just purely an alignment issue. Um, for, for any team, whether it's a top-level team under the CEO or it's any functional group or a frontline, uh, you know, team uh, for the organization, every one of the teams has a most important number that they should be driving. There may be five to 50 things that can't collect dust and or slip through the cracks. Uh, but the, the challenge is getting everybody focused on driving that most important number. 
in in and how and when they meet during their one-to-one meetings, their team meetings, the actions they assign, the personal goals that are sort of stretch goals that they you know create and assign to themselves that drive their number, and everything should feed all the way to the top. And that's really the problem. You know, functional groups will create a life of their own and, and become self-serving in very large organizations and not fully harmonized because they're not, uh, they're not fully connected with transparency to the top goals of the organization. Does that make sense? And, you know, so much of it is simple. I mean, it seems like it, 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 when you think about it, yeah, of course we should do that. But then, then there's the complexity of actually doing it. And I think yeah. uh, sometimes that's where people get tripped up. Let's kind of talk about, you know, high employee engagement. Um, Are there certain things that you believe are really, you know, important elements to making sure that we have that in in someone and, 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 you know, why or how, how do you think we can do that? Yeah, I, I believe first and foremost, um, employees want to be sort of part of an energized winning team environment that feels amazing. They want to be there. Um, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, pay isn't the most important thing and they're not bouncing around. Um, they want to be connected to the strategy and, and uh, you know, feeling like they're part of meaningful work. They're really connected with what the company's trying to do. I mean, there, there's a product or service, there's a nonprofit, it could be a government, um, you know, agency or entity. Uh, they want to feel valued, trusted, and respected. Uh, they want to know where they stand and, and what's expected 100% of the time. So, you know, these are things that kind of goes back to something you, you, you said before asking this question about it's easy to say, it's very complicated and hard to do. Each thing um, that I mentioned, I think, is relatively straightforward. I think where it gets complicated is where you have thousands of employees and each one of them have four or five things like that that they're trying to do. Well, how do you connect it together? And, um, you know, the problem, in my view, have been the tools. And that was a big part of what I created uh, within my aerospace companies were tools to be able to do that. So when I looked at a team, you know, you ask the question, um, uh, you know, what do you want to know when you look at a leader in their team uh, and to know how they're doing and how you can help share best practice, et cetera. And, uh, you know, you want to know things like how often are they meeting? What are they talking about? What are the actions that they're taking? What is their most important number? How do each of those team members create value for the organization? So whatever I wanted to know, I created tools where at a click of a mouse, I can see that directly from the source and fully solving that telephone game communication problem. So unless you do that, it's very difficult to create this environment where you have the right kind of high employee engagement that you're looking for you know, throughout the organization. So I noticed a lot of times uh, companies um, you know, that have a good culture do seem to be uh, the most likely to execute on on their strategy, and, and those that are not are, are kind of having a really hard time. Uh, but it's not just culture, right? There's other things that go into there. Uh, as you look at companies and your work, are, are you seeing that there are particular places where you know companies are kind of maybe being negligent or are not really spending enough time to really uh, to get better at to make sure they're fully executing on their strategy so that they can you know, uh, provide the most value to their stakeholders, uh, to their employees, and everyone involved? Yeah. Well, that's a really big question. A couple of things. Um, You know, first on culture, culture isn't a look good, feel good, sound good exercise. Um, You know, I believe an intentional culture is by design, um, you know, high performing, uh, very high engagement, uh, you know, from all the employees that, that come out of it 
always driving for creating more value for internal stakeholders and external stakeholders. In fact, I spend, I would say, 60% of my time thinking about the value I create for internal stakeholders because primarily in that group, it's, it would be employees, and they create all the value for our customers, right? So all of that is sort of culture and, and, and what you have in there. Um, but the, the, you know, the, the bigger issue here is from a leadership slash management operating system standpoint, um, most companies don't have an intentional management operating system. And each leader has their own operating system, and I would argue that 80% of those leaders aren't very consistent with it, so it creates a lot of issues within their teams. And then how do you bolt all of that together? And so having, a, having sort of standard work for leaders that all the leaders agree upon can make one heck of a difference, not only in driving culture even in a stronger fashion, but certainly getting way better results in terms of executing on strategy. You know, another way to think about it, if um, if I just took Apple as an example in their iPhone, if they want to make that iPhone exactly the same every time, high reliability, no issues, um, there's going to be a, a process for manufacturing and assembling and testing every single part of that all the way through. You know, so interestingly, we hire leaders and we say, um, you know, go out there and figure it out any way you want to without any agreement on what that standard work is. Just, just like um, you know, Apple wouldn't say here, make this iPhone uh, with with no instructions whatsoever. I'm sure you'll figure it out. I think it's kind of the same problem. So coming up with standard work for leaders uh, will go a long ways towards uh, and you know helping organization execute on a much larger percentage of their strategy. And and it's by installing a, a management operating system that works for that organization. There are so many systems out there, you know, EOS, 40X, um, Rockefeller Habits, OKRs, go on and on and on. Um, but those systems are, are uh, very specific in, in terms of how you're supposed to approach everything. And I, I would argue that an operating system that's perfect for your organization won't be exactly what's perfect for any other organization out there. So you want to take the best from all these different uh, systems, create your own operating system and standard work for leaders. Yeah, and, and, and one type of organizations that can really struggle are those that have gotten big, right? Uh, the bigger they get, uh, I think sometimes the harder it gets. And often they can kind of develop into silos, and you have these sort of different parts inside organizations, even maybe even competing with each other and fighting with each other. Uh, you know, do you have any thoughts as to why this tends to happen and, and, what, and what you suggest to, you know, companies to think about to try to address those, those issues? Yeah, I, I would say that it's it's sort of related to, you know, what we're talking about around alignment. Um, the larger a company gets, what I've experienced, and I've worked with uh, several very large organizations, is that functional groups um, start to, um, you know, get a life of their own and become self-serving. And a lot of the activities that go on are around justifying, you know, parts of their existence. You know, the functional groups are incredibly important. But it should be harmonized without any silos. We optimize the use of all resources in the organization, you know, people, process systems, facilities, et cetera. And so without that alignment to the top-level goals, uh, you know, what's the most important number for the company, the most important number that feeds down to each functional group leader and then cascades all the way to the front line? Once you do that and you give the transparency um, sort of visibility to what everybody else is doing and how they connect with each other, it gets rid of the silos. You know, another another challenge is, uh, you know, a lot of large organizations, um, I think largely because they think it's easier, set up a very command and control structure. 
to where every decision, for the most part, has to be run up and down the flagpole. And something that can get much better results for an organization would be to give leaders a lot more authority and autonomy based on earned decision rights and intelligent risk-taking. I mean, they have to earn it and then expose what they're doing and how they're harmonizing with the other functional groups in the organization. And then this, this sort of goes away and it drops the silos. Yeah, and, and like if companies can do that, it really can be uh, a tr- trigger to, to even better success when I mean, we see some of the best companies out there in the world that we admire and talk about all the time that seem to somehow be able to to manage this and make it uh, a benefit for them instead of a, a negative. Um, you know, yeah, I, and, I, I lo- and, I, and, I, and I think that's, that's a, a big part of the culture and, and what does the senior leadership team and really all the leaders believe philosophically about you know, how you should approach this and, and how people earn more authority and autonomy around creating more value for the organization. Again, back to back to alignment and culture. Well, um, I want to make sure we ask some of our favorite questions, uh, and that is, is there an app or a gadget uh, that you've been using this year that uh, you might share with us that we might want to think about adding to our lives? Well, you know, interestingly, when I, when I disconnect from work, it could be um, – you know, one day on the weekend or an evening, I try to get away from apps and I start playing music. So I've been playing guitar since I was five years old. I love it. I'll set in on fundraisers and things like that, but that completely resets me and and uh, energizes me even more from when I'm jumping back into the, the working world. But no no apps that, you know, sort of help me, even when I go hiking and, you know, long, long runs or things like that. It's I like being alone with my thoughts and, and disconnecting. Well, maybe music theory or the pentatonic scale could be your app or gadget, I guess, then. so <laughs> There, there you go. Yeah, um, last year I actually got to play, or the year before last, I got to play with uh, my guitar hero, a guy named Steve Vai. I played with him and his band, and it was it was the experience of a lifetime. It was fantastic. Wow, that's, that's, that is fantastic. Congratulations. Uh, and certainly having those kind of outlets, having those types of things. We've talked about you know playing guitar, playing an instrument, uh, having some sort of creative outlet. I know for me, it, it really unlocks a lot of ideas in work, um, taking those moments just yeah. to, you know, if I pick up the guitar for five minutes, I magically have all, all the ideas that I was missing on, you know, whatever I was trying to deal with at work. So, um, yeah. but how about I books? Is there real, a book that you're important. reading now or one that you suggest people usually check out uh, that we might want to think about? Um, I'm always reading something. So one, I'm, I'm probably about halfway through uh, by General Stanley McChrystal um, on leaders, and it's um, it's fascinating. You know, talking about leaders like uh, George Washington, Albert Einstein, um, uh, Maximilian Rosepierre. Um, there's there there's um, there's there's so many in there, and and it and he, he really talks about the myth of leadership. And so, if somebody looks at a leader, this is what we think they are, and the truth is, they were nothing like that, you know, whatsoever. And and a, a leader can be seen as um, you know being wildly successful, and at the same time, um, it wasn't because of them; it was a team they surrounded themselves with, and what happened. So I'm I'm finding it very fascinating just talking about the myth of leadership in there. He's done a great job framing it. Yeah, I mean, uh, a couple of books I've read have talked about this idea of the lone wolf, right? And and if you look at some of the most famous ones, they had these incredible partners, they had people around them in these great teams, and they were just, just sort of the face of that team. Um, and I think people people often forget that. So it's a it's a great reminder there. Um, Well, how can people get a hold of you if you're interested in learning more? Maybe they want to find out more about Execute to Win. What's the best way for people to do that? 
Yeah, our website is etw.com, and you can learn a lot there. Um, you can you can reach us when you get on the website, um, and everything that we're doing is about uh, improving alignment within or, within organizations to get better results. And you know, it's all about executing in a higher percentage of strategy, communicating so much better, and contextualized around things that you're trying to do in the organization to solve the telephone game communication problem, and then developing leaders in a practical way that will deliver results a lot faster. In fact. You know, what, what we say, and we're seeing it all the time, is that C or C-minus capable leaders uh, within six months of sort of, you know, using our methodologies and some of the tools will be performing like a A-rated leader. Um, and that's what we shoot to do is to help organizations perform better. Great. Uh, love to have uh, everyone check that out. And uh, hopefully they'll uh, consider picking up an instrument and uh, taking a look at all the great things that you mentioned here today. Uh, and hopefully we have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the cool things that you're doing. Would love to do that. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. All right. My pleasure. Next week, my guests will include Andrew Hard, the CEO of CMW Media, and Sue Parks, the president and CEO of the Orange County United Way. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.